0: scholarships on the web at maincf.org. And it is 10 o'clock, this is Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor. Stay tuned for Talk of the Towns with your host, Ron Beard.
1: Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. So, what would you do if your school received a failing grade? As a student, a teacher, a principal, a school board member, how would you begin to turn things around? In 2010, Deer Isle Stonington High School was on a list of low performing schools in Maine. Since then, Principal Todd West, students, teachers, parents, and community members have been working to change that assessment. Working to improve graduation rates, student learning, and school climate. And for the next hour, we'll be talking with Todd, Todd West, and um, some of those folks who have been working so hard to, to turn things around at Deer Isle Stonington High School. So, welcome to uh, t- two folks in the studio. Todd West is principal of the Deer Isle Stonington High School. Welcome to you, Todd. Good morning, Ron. Thank you. And with him is Sarah Wilson. Sarah is an 11th grade student, and she's also a student representative on the school committee. Welcome to you, Sarah. Thank you. And we have on the phone, we have Marion Austin. Marion is an English and social studies teacher, and she's on the leadership team for Deer Isle Stonington High School. Welcome to you, Marion.
2: Yep, good morning.
1: I'll, I'll start with Todd um, and, and give him a chance to give some background. Um, first about yourself, Todd, um, how did you get interested in education?
3: Um, I became interested in education quite by accident, actually. <laughs> I ended up going to College of the Atlantic for my undergraduate work, and had basically resigned myself to studying whales because i was not aware that uh... college of the atlantic did much else <laughs> um, and on the first day of school uh... the education professor stood up and mentioned that there'd be a meeting of the education studies committee and people who are interested in going into education might want to consider attending and uh... i quickly remembered that i had had several really inspiring teachers when i was in high school and thought well You know, frankly, working with students seems a lot more fun to me than working with whales. So um, I ended up going and and became quite interested in education. Um, Had some excellent courses from professors like Ron Beard at Calls (laughs) the Atlantic. Um, And ended up being a social studies teacher at Mount Desert Island High School for seven years. Um, I thought that was a fantastic experience. Um, I really was supported in, in taking on some leadership roles very early in my teaching career. Uh, which is not the norm, but some some folks like Rob Lebo, who's now the superintendent down there, um, are willing to do things that are not always the norm that they think will be best for for the school. And so he really supported me in in, uh, taking leadership courses at the University of Maine and becoming a social studies department head. Um, And that led me to want to become a principal. So I've been the principal at Deer Isle Stonington High School since the 2007-2008 school year.
1: Great. Um, turning to Sarah uh, Sarah Wilson, tell us a little bit about yourself. I understand you working three jobs this summer, <laughs> just to kind of, um, th- that keeps you busy?
4: Yeah, yeah. I always like to stay busy and challenge myself. So in the school year, I try to take as many like honors and AP courses as possible. And then in the summer, I work a lot. I just bought a car, so I had to pay that off. And um
1: and you work at the opera house and and uh, two other places.
4: I do. I work at the opera house and at Haystack, and I part-time nanny a two-year-old. So
1: yeah, Lots
4: of different opportunities. Yeah.
1: And your interest in, in school, what particular the, the honors programs, but are there are particular courses that you really enjoy?
4: Um, I don't know. Like I I enjoy learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have like specific subjects that really interest me mm-hmm. um, more than others, I guess. I don't know. I so think you'll, you'll, there's you'll discover parts that. of every class that right. are great, yeah.
1: Right, you'll discover that. Marion, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in education. You're an uh, English and social studies teacher now, but what was your start in education?
2: Haha. Oh, very interesting. Uh, I came to the island in 1992, and I had come here kind of a, an escape from New York, and I had spent... I have about 20 years of my life in the corporate world, uh, working on Wall Street. And I have been a teacher, I would say, for most of my career, teaching uh, financial professionals about uh, computer software, performance management skills, just just teaching in general. And when I came to the island, uh, my husband was involved with the schools. And I, I was involved in various capacities, I'd say, for over 10 years, from a librarian to the director of the REACH Performing Arts for a small period of time. And I made the decision somehow that this Deer Isle is so unique and is such a special place in terms of uh, my life and my travels that I didn't want to teach at any school. I wanted to teach at this school.
1: Hmm. That's great.
2: So, yeah, so it's been a, a, a long journey and an interesting experience, and um, I'm really happy to be doing what I'm going to be doing this year. Mm-hmm.
1: Marion, I'll, I'll keep with you for just a minute. Yeah. Um, you said that um, your island, uh, Deer Isle, yeah. um, is a special place. What makes it special for you? What are some of the qualities that make it so special for you?
2: Well, one of the things that I, I really enjoy about walking into a classroom is when I have a, a group of kids in front of me, a group of students, I have a sense that in some way I know their story. Hmm. And so that when I, when I teach, I think about what I'm teaching relative to them and to their life and to their story. And uh, I don't know if Sarah could echo that, but that mattered a lot to me in teaching uh, language arts in the class that she was in because, for example, in that year they write a series of autobiographical stories. And a lot of them were, were very telling about them and their lives on this island, but it was also something that was important in terms of their light, learning and, and how to write relevant to them.
1: Mm. Sarah, do you, do you um, have that recollection too? Do you kind of have a sense that you know some of the stories of island people?
4: Yeah, I think we're all you know, very connected. It's such a close-knit community, and, you know, you see your teachers in the grocery store babysit for their kids, or, you know, so I definitely know my teachers better than I think most students know their teachers, and that makes it easier to open up in, like, an autobiographical book. We did these great books with her, as she was saying, and, um, it was just, you know, we t- I think we all reached a point where we told a story so personal that, you know, and you probably wouldn't want to share it with your other classmates or anything, but, you know, because you knew them, because you knew they weren't going to go and tell everyone else, you know, y- yeah, we could really share.
1: Mm. So that sense of knowing the community, knowing the community stories helps you as a student. It probably helps teachers as well. Yeah. Todd, sure, yeah. Todd, you you were quoted in, in the Island Advantage saying that you've been working to improve the school since you got there. What what attracted you to this particular position? You said you began to think about administration um, after your experience at Mount Desert Island High School. What mm-hmm. led you to, to Stonington-Deer Isle?
3: Yep. Um, well, I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, Deer Isle-Stonington High School is a very typical, small, rural, main school. You know, that sense of connectedness and family that both Marion and Sarah talked about is really um, the hallmark of what makes these schools along the Maine coast or you know around the rim of Maine mm-hmm. um, as they mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. Um, pretty unique and um, that offers a lot of challenges as a school you know you, you're, you have uh, resource challenges you have size challenges you know I think one of our greatest challenges is that you know just at the end of the day there's about 20 of us adults and uh, there's only so much that 20 adults can do in a given day. Um, but we, you know, we certainly work hard. And so I, I think the, the community setting, um, you know, Deer Isle and Stonington, as well as the communities on the Blue Hill Peninsula that also feed into the high school, um, are, you know, uh, they're all coastal communities. Um, there's very hardworking people in those communities. One of the things that is readily apparent about our community is that it supports the children and the students of the community, um, really beyond its means. Mm -hmm. Uh, There, there are not a lot of other schools on the coast of Maine, located in fishing villages, that have a state-of-the-art performing arts theater as part of their uh, school district, located on campus. uh, You know, privately supported and funded. um, You know, the the chess teams. Can win the state championship, and within a week you know tens of thousands of dollars have been raised to support sending these students to Dallas or Indiana you know all these different places around the country and so there's um, just incredible community support. Um, what really attracted me to the school was was um, the teaching staff and talking to people as I interviewed, and having people tell me that you know we we really we want to do the best that we can for these students, and we really care about these students you know we're we're very dedicated and connected to their success, and we're willing to kind of come together and move forward because we've we've had some hard times and we want to do better um, and I think when you think as a as a school administrator that's really key uh, to come in and already have people saying we're ready to, to move in a different direction versus trying to convince them that they might need to move in a different direction. So I, I think the dedication of the staff towards the success of the students is really the, was the most obvious thing at the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So what led to the, this, um, this terrible grade that the yeah. state gave you? Yeah. What were, were some of the factors that you discovered when you got there and began to work on, um, And th- th- but still, you mm-hmm. still had to deal with this particular um, set of I- issues? Yeah.
3: Well, that, that's perhaps the most ironic thing about this designation is that it did come in March of 2010, um, and it was based um, solely on, on SAT scores okay. uh, that... that also doubles as the main state assessment of student learning and so um, they they have a formula that they've used uh, to kind of rank schools and then they create two different pools and one pool is is schools that directly receive title one federal assistance and there's only twelve high schools in the state it depends a little bit on the year but it's around a dozen schools so that's a very small pool and so um, pretty much any school that's in that pool is really in danger of being on this list. And then they choose another five schools from this pool of 130 mm-hmm. schools. And so anyway, that's, you know, it, it was it was test scores from 2007, 2008, and 2009 uh, on a single test. And the ironic thing was is that we as a staff had already identified a lot of different, um, much more compelling areas of concern. You know, for example... Uh, high dropout rates, high levels of student disengagement, uh, high levels of course failure, um, a, 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 a school climate in terms of student discipline that was really out of control. Um,
1: so those are factors that may
3: have led to the poor yeah, test scores, yeah.
1: um, um, and you are, had, had begun to identify those? Yeah,
3: we, we identified those very early on. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone, when you're in a school, you know <laughs> what the problems are. Uh, what we did is we really got down to business and started addressing them. And so that that was what was ironic about that designation is we had already identified areas of concern, had put a lot of work into fixing them. And then when we felt like we were kind of on the upswing, um, all of a sudden, based on a single measure, this this label comes out that no matter how you want to try and euphemize it, it, it comes out as one of the ten worst schools in the
1: state. Sure, sure. Marian, what was your experience as you came into the school? You said you were attracted to the school and, and the community. What was your experience as you came into the school? Did you recognize some of the factors that, that Todd has li- listed that might have been contributing factors to this uh, these low test scores?
2: Well, definitely. The be only because I've been in and around the high school for, uh, I'd say, over ten years. Uh, I guess you could say, you know, the climate sort of came in waves and there was was definitely a um, you know different principles had different ways of being and I think I I don't know if Todd remembers this but I can remember I'd say even upwards of almost three or four years ago when Todd was first there speaking to him in the parking lot saying hey you know what this place is different it feels different here and so I think that under Todd's leadership some of the things that he was talking about began to change actually fairly quickly And so you could tell that the place felt different from all the years I've been in and around there. And so that was a good thing in the same way, but also, as you guys are referring to, when it became, when we got this designation, that was a tough blow for everybody. And it was a really demoralizing feeling for not just uh, the teachers and for Todd, but for the students as well. And uh, Sarah probably remembers the, the TV cameras that would come in, and it just didn't feel good at, at that moment in time. But I think over the last year, we definitely have worked hard to not have that be a stigma so much.
1: Mm. Sarah, what do you remember about hearing that announcement? Uh, how did you react in your your classroom, but maybe in your family setting as well?
4: well yeah, yeah um, go ahead, Sarah. Like Miss Austin said, you know, everyone was talking about it. Everyone was just like, wouldn't stop talking about it and all these TV cameras and crews came in and were filming us in the hall and it's like this is what a low achieving student looks like going to lunch you know <laughs> it's not like we're <laughs> in some kind of zoo it was just it was really ridiculous mm. um, and yeah I think that students totally did take it really really personally you know you might as well have given us all name tags that said loser and make us wear them for the rest of the time because if you tell a student or a group of students that they're stupid enough times they really start to believe it.
1: Mm-hmm. So Todd, um, what, what, um, some, talk about some of the factors you, you taught. Let's talk about school climate. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw um, a school climate that wasn't healthy. Um, what were some of the things that you and others did to kind of begin to change that that feeling mm-hmm. of what it, what, what it felt like to be in the school? Yep. Um, well, the,
3: the, the first and most immediate thing that we did uh, was around student behavior. And um, there's a lot of different programs out there to to help improve school climate and student behavior and student discipline. But it's really a very simple principle, I think, that is – you know, wh- whether you want, I, I have a four year old
0: little mm-hmm. girl,
3: um, mm-hmm. and I'm less successful at using this with her. But, <laughs> you know, if you want someone to behave a certain way, you tell them what you expect. And if it's clearly stated and if it's reasonable, um, and then you consistently and fairly enforce that, uh, then behavior usually changes. Mm-hmm. Like I said, usually. It didn't change last night at my house, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we just, as a school, we came up with some things that we thought were really critical things, you know, that that when students use unacceptable language, especially in, in anger or out of frustration, um, you know, that that needs to carry a pretty swift and immediate consequence, because in a school you can't, you mm-hmm. know, regularly be using horribly inappropriate and disrespectful language. That's not conducive to learning. Mm-hmm. Um, or the idea that you need to be in class and you need to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Those are pretty basic principles of learning. Mm-hmm. Um and so we talked about what we would expect and what we would do if we didn't get it. And um, that was a major change for the students in the school at the time. And there was a lot of resistance to that. Um, but I think eventually many of them learned that you know, if, if I use this word, I'm going to get sent home for the rest of the day. And, and sometimes those students wanted that. But it also sent the message to the other students that if, if I do that, that's what's going to happen. And maybe they didn't want that. And so that, that very slowly changed, and now um, we're at a point where I think our, our student body's behavior is, is really quite, you know, there's always, they're teenagers and they do teenage things, mm-hmm. um, but by and large, it's a, it's a really pleasant uh, place to be and a productive place to be, um, and we've really, we had 212 suspensions in 2007-2008, and last year we had 45, so that's almost an 80% decrease. Um, And so I think now that students know what's expected and we're pretty consistently enforcing that, that really changes the educational climate of the school.
1: Mm. Sarah, I'll turn to you. Um, When you first came to the school, um, how did you learn about what was expected of you as a student? Do you remember anything that that gave you a hint, this is how I'm going to behave?
4: Um, I think what was most powerful for me is that um, my... I've had friends who were here, were in school before Mr. West came, and they used to tell, or they'd tell horror stories of what it was like and the bullying and the, like, pushing people into lockers. But, you know, from the very beginning, people were very clear about, like, okay, now you said a bad word, you're going to the principal's office. Or, you know, and it's pretty consistent from classroom to classroom. And so I think, yeah, it's just the first student who... Tests the Rules is made an example of and then you learn that way.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're tuned, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about earning a passing grade, progress at Deer Isle Stonington High School um, since uh, 2010 and really before as, as Todd West took on the principalship. In the studio with us are Todd West and Sarah Wilson. Sarah is a, an 11th grade student at um, Deer Isle Stonington High School. And on the phone with us is Marion Austin, an English and social studies teacher and part of the leadership team. Marion, what do you remember about um, Todd, Todd's work on, on And your work on school climate.
2: I think it was pretty clear, and it still continues to be that Todd reminds us of the consistencies and the sort of the behavioral aspects or things that the expectations, like bad language, like insubordinate behavior, and so that I think we work together. Some of us are better at it than others, but I think it's a, a, a conversation that while we don't talk about it constantly. Todd every now and again send out uh, email saying, hey, there's lots of kids wandering the halls. Let's keep that in check. So uh, it's it's something that it, it's just a constantly positive reminder that we all need to be aware of school climate.
1: So that feedback loop is, is really important. Yes. Todd? Yeah. Um, and, and I think
3: that also gets at one of the things that's really great about working in a school is that, um, whether you like it or not, the very best case scenario is that you have a whole new group of students every four years, mm-hmm. um, and so it it is a constant. It's you know it's an educational process, not just of the your, your subjects. You're not just learning math and mm-hmm. English and that sort of thing, but uh, you you constantly have to teach students and new staff and um, all the changing faces what you're expecting, um, and and you know. We, we have been talking about kind of the behavioral end of, of student climate, uh, which was the first and most pressing need. But the the far more important area, once we kind of have that uh, more or less under control, is then getting into academic climate. And, you know, are you coming to class because you have to come to class and you're looking for 80 minutes to, to kill? Or are you coming to class because you're ready to learn, you're excited to learn? We, you know, we're offering you something exciting to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, And I I was really impressed. To me, that was the biggest change in the high school last year is um, I had always kind of felt like it seemed like teachers were, were trying their hardest because of some of the behavior issues just to kind of keep things under control. Um, and it seemed like there were very few students who were really excited about learning. Um, and last year, I could tell almost from the first week, I was walking into classes and the, the students were just so much more engaged. There were students asking much more engaging questions. Um, you know, you could tell that they were really interested in being there and learning. And so that that academic climate is now beginning to build. And I think that's, you know, really the,
1: the main point. Mm-hmm. So, Marion, would you comment on that as well?
2: I would agree. I would think that, I think it's a combination, not just have we got the school climate and the behavioral expectations, but also I think, as Todd mentioned, teachers are genuinely trying to, uh, you know, enhance their teaching practice such that kids are engaged and, and to think of innovative ways that uh, relate to the students and can capture their attention.
1: And, and Marion, what kind of support are you sensing from the community as a teacher um, for these kinds of changes?
2: First and foremost, I would say my support comes from my school community and from my colleagues. And one of the uh, parts about it that I feel strongly about is our professional learning community, where we meet uh, for about an hour and 20 minutes on Friday afternoons. And a lot of our work is submitted to each other as colleagues that we review and we give feedback on. And so I would say first and foremost, The school community, I think there are parts of the school community that really support the school in the arts, and as Todd mentioned, in the chess team, and in the sports of sports. If I was looking for something that I seek for improvement, it is uh, sometimes with parents.
1: Mm. And and is that about their own experiences in high school, do you suppose, Um, the the lack of support, that they didn't have a good experience and so they're not expecting it for their kids?
2: In some cases, yes, I Mm -hmm. believe that's true. Not Mm -hmm. in every case. But an example is parent-teacher conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, my dream would be to have my parent-teacher conference calendar, when that occurs, to be completely full, and sometimes it's not.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mary, I, I'll ask you for uh, any other comments, because I know we have some other folks we're going to try to get on the line, but I'll ask you if you have any hopes for, for the future. What, what would you hope for um, uh, Deer Isle Stoneyton High School as, as uh, things proceed?
2: My hope would be to reach every student in some way to engage them. Part of what I've done over the last two years is work in what we call the Learning Center, which was a place where struggling students could come for help. And uh, that was a really valuable experience, I think, for me as a teacher, but also for the students that I helped to serve. And uh, all of us have frustrations when students aren't engaged. So my hope and my wish were to be able to reach Students, so they wouldn't feel that failing was an option.
1: Mm. And it sounds like um, uh, you and Todd and your other colleagues are are trying to create a, a supportive learning environment, not only for the students but for the teachers as well.
2: That's correct, for sure.
1: That's great. Well, thanks so much for taking time to be with us, and good luck as the school year starts. I think y- you start next week. Is that right?
2: That's correct on Monday.
1: Okay, Marion, Thanks for being with Thank us. Thank you. That was Marion Austin, who's an English and social studies teacher at. Dear Isle Stonington High School, she's also on the leadership team. You're attuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about earning a passing grade, progress at Dear Isle Stonington High School. And still in the studio with us are Todd West, who is principal, and Sarah Wilson, who is 11th grade student. Sarah, did you kind of uh, get a sense of, of teachers working a little harder to engage you and, and your other students? What, what, what kind of forms or can you think of some examples of how y- you felt those teachers were making a difference?
4: Um, I think that definitely our biggest challenge is getting students motivated, getting mm-hmm. them engaged. And so, to do that, you know, teachers have really been changing their classes so that they um, relate more to the everyday lives of their students. So, instead of, you know, and making lessons fun. So, I was in pre calculus last semester and, um, we had to learn about conic sections, which sounds like such a drag. But instead of just like sitting there for 80 minute periods um, on end, just learning about you know,
5: Cone, tones and, <laughs> and
4: parabolas and <laughs> hyperbolas and <laughs> ellipses, um, we, we used conic sections to recreate um, a comic character. Um, so I did Jerry the Mouse from Tom and Jerry. And so that it was interesting and it was exciting and we felt such a sense of pride when the project was completed because, you know, we made something, we used it, we used the information we were learning. Um, and I think a lot of times with writing, um, I know the junior writing class does magazines, but they don't have to be, like, you don't get assigned a topic. A lot of... Kids get you know choose a topic they're interested in, and it's a way for them to understand better about something, you know, maybe a career they want to go into um, or just a hobby that they find interesting. And so that definitely connects more than if you were just like, okay, write a 10 page paper on JFK.
1: Right. So the idea that that, um, teachers are trying to connect the learning to your lives in some way and then teasing you to kind of say, okay, what is it that you want to learn more Mm -hmm.
4: about? Yeah, definitely. That's
1: great. I believe we can go now to Mark Cormier. Mark is on the school committee, uh, perhaps chair of the school committee, is that right? And um, Mark uh, is with us by phone. Thanks for being here on Talk of the Towns, Mark.
0: Uh, hey, good morning.
1: Tell us a little bit about your um, your connection to the school and the school committee. How did you get involved in in uh, being on the school committee?
0: Well, uh, uh, myself, I am a 1988 graduate
1: okay. of
0: uh, Deer Al Stonington. Uh, born and raised uh, here in this area, um, so I definitely have a an interest and a connection that way, uh, as well as my own children attending the school. Mm. Uh, early on, I, I. Uh, just felt that it was something that I should do uh, to help with the community, to put back, and, uh, and also uh, help with my own children's education.
1: Mm. And, and I, I think I've referred to the school board kind of being in the middle. Um, you, were, you were hearing from uh, Todd and, and uh, the school, you were hearing from the state, and you were hearing from the community. How did you yes. how did you begin to react to you, you were obviously tracking some of these uh, uh, trends and, and changes but how did you react when you got the news um, that the school was uh, being placed on this low performing list?
0: Yes, well uh, as Todd stated earlier, um, you know we were aware of, of areas and and like Todd said we we had already started to address those areas but I think overall uh, it helped uh, in a way to be a reality check uh... to all of us um, and to kind of bring everybody on board uh... and focused you know, everyone wants to think uh... that we've hired all the best teachers and the best policies and facilities and everything that we can have and uh... when we're put on a list of underachieving schools uh... The first obstacle we have is to understand that there is a problem then look at all the data stand back and critically think you know what are what are we doing wrong what are we doing right and, you know, being a small community where most people know everyone, I think everyone on the school board feels the pressure from the community, whether it's at the local stores or restaurants. We definitely hear the voice of the community. And, you know, after all, we are a small school. Um, we don't exactly have a small budget. So I, I think we, we feel very uh, we, we need to be good uh, stewards of, of the town's money
4: mm
1: and And so, when you um, saw someone in the supermarket and they were uh, concerned or or even critical of the school, how did you begin to tell the story so that they could understand that you were in fact um, addressing the issues of concern
0: well it's it's sometimes hard to relay all of what goes on uh, in in the stores uh, and, 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 right. and without getting into a lengthy conversation um, simply. Uh, some of the easiest uh, things to say, you know, is, is we do understand uh, that, that we may lack in some areas that our, our students may not test well in some areas, uh, and that we're definitely putting resources behind that, um, such as things they've touched on uh, with the Learning Center. Uh, just other areas in the school um, where students can go to get extra help, um, many of our teachers, uh, make themselves available uh, before and after school um, for quite some time uh, after school mm. uh, to help with students that may be struggling in an area.
1: You, you've got um, a colleague here uh, on, on the school committee. Sarah um, Wilson is here, and she's a member, a student rep- rep- representative yes. to the school committee. What's it like to have a student voice um, as you're um, deliberating on some of these policy um, options that you have?
0: Uh, it's been very interesting. Um, uh, former board member uh, jim adams uh had uh, pushed for a student representative representative for many years uh and was instrumental in in getting that done uh finally and uh I, I think it's it's a help uh many times to hear uh from a student's perspective just you know what they feel like or or what some of the decisions uh that we make how that impacts them and, and what the other students are feeling. Um, Sarah many times puts together a survey um, for her, her monthly report, uh, and they're always uh, very eye-opening, uh, mm. very interesting.
1: So it's almost as though instead of just being uh, um, a figurative um, somebody on your shoulder, a student on your shoulder, this way a, st- a student is actually in the room as, you, as you're deliberating
0: exactly
1: that's yeah. great Sarah what would you talk tell about your experience what's your experience of being a representative to the school committee
4: um, I love it I think it's really important that students have a voice and you know a lot of times we don't know what's best for us um, but I think it's important that they understand how we're feeling like even if they shouldn't change something for us that they should maybe better explain something or we you know we need to work to find compromises and so um in that way I think it's really good. I think there's you know a lot of issues that have come up that um are good to have student voices for and there are some that you know aren't and it's it's really been interesting for me cuz there's been a few times when you know the majority of the students doesn't feel the way I feel and so um it's it's really a good challenge though to you know put YOU KNOW, BECAUSE I'M NOT EXPRESSING MYSELF. I'M SPEAKING FOR ALL OF THEM. AND SO, YOU KNOW, IF 70% ARE FEELING ONE WAY AND I'M FEELING THE OTHER WAY, I STILL HAVE TO, YOU KNOW, EXPRESS THAT OTHER SIDE MORE THAN I EXPRESS MY OWN. SO THAT'S so BEEN A REALLY GOOD CHALLENGE.
1: YOU AND, and, and uh, OTHERS WILL, will look, LOOK FOR YOU IN THE STATE LEGISLATURE AT SOME <laughs> POINT. <laughs> TODD, uh, TELL US ABOUT YOUR KIND OF CONNECTION TO THE SCHOOL COMMITTEE. HOW DO YOU RELATE TO THE SCHOOL COMMITTEE ON A REGULAR BASIS? WHAT'S YOUR CONNECTION? Um I guess I see myself um
3: you know if if you want to think of the the school committee as the uh you know the board of directors um you know I, I'm kind of the I'm not the CEO that would be the superintendent but I yep. guess I'm the you know vice president in charge of secondary education okay <laughs> so yeah yep. um and you know my relationship is really to I think help the school committee you know, they're operating from the the 10,000 foot view um, and my job is to help them um, understand and provide them with the information that they need to make the best decisions uh, from the, the day-to-day perspective, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so to really inform them, I think also one of the things that's, that's great about, um, you know, small main towns in America in general is that we believe in this democratic uh, tradition and that we elect people uh, who are not usually educators to run the school because that's part of what citizenship is all about. Um, And so part of what I do also is kind of try and um, keep a a pipeline of information around educational research um, going to the school committee just, you know, because they they have their own jobs and they have their own families and they're not, uh, obviously they don't have time to go to the conferences and and read the journals that I read and so just to kind of help them um, I don't know, get cheat sheets, I guess, about some educational issues. And then, of course, um, you know, they they often ask me, you know, we, we've hired you to run the school, so what what would you do in this situation? And it's mm-hmm. my job to tell them uh, what I think is best for the students in the school.
1: mm mm-hmm. And uh, again, um, coming back to Mark Cormier, who is a school committee member, what's your sense of of, of working with uh, Todd and the and the superintendent to, to make the improvements that are needed so that not just the, the test scores go up, but the, the school climate, the academic climate is, is improved and, and the community feels really good about the school?
0: Oh, well, exactly. I, I feel that uh, much of this uh, started, um, I'll go back to, Early on again yeah. uh, before the before the state's designation, um, when we were interviewing uh for a new principal um, we saw in Todd uh, someone who could bring up uh, school climate, who could change uh, what was going on in the school so I really feel the first step in all of this was uh, employing Todd mm-hmm. um, and then standing behind him um, we all, all always don't see eye-to-eye eye on things sometimes, uh, but we, we try to uh, let Todd uh, do as much as, as you know he would like to. Uh, I feel he has uh, great ideas and, and uh, ways to bring us forward. Um, the school board itself has been really kind of focusing on the data, mm-hmm. uh, trying to, you know, encouraging testing. But uh, once the testing's been done, uh, really sitting down and, and looking at what those test scores represent and, you know, seeing what's lacking, try to help uh, strengthen those areas. Uh, when it becomes budget time, a lot of times, uh, you know, the question is asked, what, what is needed in, in what areas? Uh, and we try to allow the uh, principals to designate what money is spent where uh, in the schools. That's great. Um, Obviously, evaluations, uh, teacher evaluations is a big part that the board has been uh, involved in and wanting to strengthen. Um, Todd actually uh, has something kind of above and beyond, I think, the normal uh, evaluation observations. Uh, it's something, uh, I believe it's called I Walk Through. Uh, he can definitely expand on it further. Um, but it, it's, it's something that, that he's brought to us. Um, that I think allows him to get a a lot better perspective of of what's going on in the classroom uh, on a more day-to-day basis.
1: Great. Well, thanks so much for being with us and taking time. I understand you're hauling boats, among other things, today.
0: Yes, (laughs) the impending storm. (laughs) Right.
1: Well, thanks for being with us, Mark okay thank you that's mark cormier who's the school the chair of the school committee on de ryle stonington high school in the studio with us are todd west who's principal and sarah wilson who's an 11th grade student todd what about this this uh, i walk through is that walking around management by walking around Uh, yeah that's the business terminology for it
3: um and and i walk through is actually a very specific technology-based product uh, developed by the Great Schools Partnership, who we have a very strong relationship mm-hmm. with as a school. Uh, but, but what it is, is essentially trying to give a protocol to some uh, short observations of instructional practice. A lot of times... Um, uh, traditionally, teacher evaluation has been based on things that may or may not be directly related to the core purpose of a classroom, which mm-hmm. is teachers instructing students and students learning. And so this is designed to get beyond um, some of the things that might be secondary to student learning and really honing in on the things that directly support student learning. Um, and I think that that's one of the the changes in um, the job description of principals that is changing for the better, is that for a lot of many years, uh, teachers were kind of seen as as uh, it's their classroom and, and they need, you know, they can do what, they're their teachers, they're professional mm-hmm. teachers, they should be doing what they think is best. And principals stayed in the office and, uh, you know, dealt with students uh, for disciplinary reasons. But really, uh, the idea of the principal as the instructional leader is mm-hmm. relatively new. And that's, uh, that idea of um, being in the classroom is one of the major things that I, I think Uh, is important for principals to do. And so it's not just formal observations, it's not just I walk through, it's also little things like when I need to talk to a student who may not have been doing the right thing, um, instead of having my secretary call over the intercom or call down to get the student to come to my office, I go to the classroom. And Mm -hmm. it's just another opportunity uh, to see what is going on in the classroom um, you know, and, and when it's great stuff to tell teachers and students, hey, there's great stuff going on here. And when there's not great stuff, it's an opportunity to say, hey, we need to work on this.
1: Great. When you walk into a classroom, what are you looking for? What what would tell you that, that good teaching and good learning is going mm-hmm. on?
3: Yep. I, I think it really starts um, with, with engagement. Are the students engaged uh, at, at a couple of different levels? You know, if there's heads on the desk, that's automatically a you know <laughs> something's not right here um and then the next step up is beyond just passive engagement you know you you can be looking at a teacher and not not necessarily learning a lot, but there i mean you can tell uh, anyone who's been in a classroom there's a look in a student's eyes uh, mm-hmm. when they're when they're on board with the teacher and you and you can you can feel it um, and so that engagement is critical um, I'm also looking for um I, th- I think as educators, we're lucky to be at a place now where we, we really know what works with teaching. Mm. Um, and there's an art to applying that. Not all students are going to react the same way, but we know what works. There's a very solid body of evidence about what is effective teaching practice. And so that's, I'm looking to see, is that happening? Um, and then the other thing is related to curriculum and rigor. And uh, if, if you're in an, in an 11th grade honors class, are you doing work that is you know, appropriate for an 11th grade honors class and, you know, at the other end of the spectrum for, for ninth graders coming in, you know, are you doing stuff that's appropriate and supporting those students to get to the point where they can do the more difficult work?
1: mm we're going to turn the corner just a little bit now, and we may come back to some of that, um, Todd, but um, Ready by 21 is a program that um, is kind of uh, parallel to the school. Um, I understand, Sarah, you're part of that. You're on a committee um, working on Ready by 21. Is that right?
4: Yeah, yeah. I've been working a lot with Ready by 21. Um, and how
1: would you how would you describe it? What, what would you say the goals of Ready by 21 is? What does that mean?
4: Ready by 21 um, is about... Getting our students, getting Island children um, ready for going on to college or going to the workplace or having a family, you know, just preparing them for life. 21 is the age. Twenty-one became the age, yeah. Great.
1: great. Well, we're going to talk um, by phone with Amy Vaughn. Amy is with the Healthy Peninsula Program, and she's been a guest on Talk of the Towns in the past. But, Amy, you're kind of helping as an organization lead this Ready by 21. Welcome to Talk of the Towns.
5: Thank you Ron it's nice to be joining you
1: tell us a little bit about the background for this particular approach to engage students but it's really a community engagement process as well
5: it is Ron it's a um, ready by 21 is seeking to engage the whole community around our children and youth and not leave everything up to the schools. Uh, the school is um, at the center uh, in many ways of preparing our young people for life, but um, the community has responsibilities as well. And Ready by 21 is an initiative that is trying to mobilize the community to step up to the plate and um, to be really effective in the ways they offer services and programs to young people and to coordinate those efforts with the school.
1: And I understand there's a number of different aspects of that um, one might be having to do with getting ready for students to be good employers or good good employees rather.
5: That's right. Um, Ready by 21, our, our framework is making sure that young people are prepared for a healthy life and healthy relationships, that's ready for life, that they are ready for work, that they have the skills needed for productive employment and that they are uh, ready for college. And by that, we mean that they will be lifelong learners either through college or other post-secondary training.
1: And what's been the reaction of of community members so far? You've had a couple of, of, uh, I think, well-attended community meetings, one of which or a couple of which I've been involved in. Tell us a little bit about the community response.
5: We've had an overwhelmingly positive response. Um, I think uh, initially following the... um, uh designation of the school needing some improvement a few years ago there was a lot of community concern and people there was a fair bit of negativity um and i think that ready by 21 has helped the community see some positive ways that they can get involved instead of just complaining Mm. and um so that has been, uh, I think, one of the most appreciated aspects of it. We started by having, we had over 80 participants at an initial community forum that listed all the assets that our community brings to young people, including many, many at the school and caring teachers, and um, and uh, they came up with a great, huge list of, of what our community has to offer, and then they also developed their um, list of goals and hopes that they have for the young people in their community. And um, right now we're working on trying to to link the two. How do we further develop the assets the community has, further strengthen those, add resources where needed to make sure that uh, young people meet the, the goals the community has for them.
1: Great. And and what's, what's the partnership with the school like? I'll ask Todd the same question, but what are you hoping the school can provide in this partnership?
5: The school has been great in this partnership to date. Uh, Todd West as principal of the high school, Michael Benjamin as principal of the elementary school, um, have been very involved in the process and serve on the Ready by 21 steering committee. Uh, we also have a number of teachers and school board members involved. So it's It's been a good platform, I think, to bring together school leaders and community leaders. I mean, just for example, the Job Shadow program that Ready by 21 is uh, helping to shape uh, that as, as it moves forward. But bringing together business leaders in the community with the school administration and students is a very productive partnership.
1: Great. Well, we're going to let you go. Thanks so much for being with us here on Talk of the Towns, Amy. Thank you, Ron. Amy Vaughn with the Healthy Peninsula Project and helping coordinate something called Ready by 21, getting students to be ready by age 21 for life and work and and lifelong learning. Todd, how do you look at this partnership?
3: Um, I, I think I look at it exactly like that. It's a partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, students, students live their lives uh, 24 hours a day, and seven and a half of those happen to be in school, Um, and so it certainly helps to have community resources and school resources working together. But I think also just looking at what it is that we're expecting schools to do. Uh, the, the list has grown quite a bit and our, our school day has not. <laughs> and, so and, the no, yeah. them,
1: right? and so... it's dollar's necessarily... No, yeah. And so
3: it's trying to find other ways to do this. And so, for example, uh, job skills. Uh, the, the absolute worst way to teach job skills is to have a fake class, uh, you know, where you pretend to do things like interview for a job. Or, you know, it, it's much more effective to go into the community uh, either to do some sort of interview for something you actually want to do or to shadow someone in a business that you're interested in and learn learn by doing versus you know kind of this this fake, non-authentic um, situation that, mm. that feels like school.
1: <laughs> I, we have very little time for phone calls, but I'm going to list our phone number just in case there's a pressing question or a comment out there, 1-866-625-625. 9378 not six two 625 9378 on Talk of the Towns. Todd, um, you've you've said to the community and you did a, a, an article or, uh, on the op-ed page of the Ellsworth American that you really wanted to focus on four areas that you're going to continue to report on. Mm-hmm. We've already talked about uh, sc- kind of school climate and some of the core academic schools. There are two others that we haven't talked about, graduation rate and course failure. Yeah. Those are certainly related to the to the mm-hmm. academic side. Tell us a little bit about what you're hoping to, achieve in graduation rates, for instance.
3: Exactly. Uh, Graduation rates, I think, is really the core indicator of a school's success. I mean, that's why a high school exists, is to provide kids with a high school diploma, a meaningful high school diploma. Um, The state has recently changed, well, actually the whole, the, the federal Department of Education has changed how they define graduation rates so that it's a consistent standard across the entire country. Um, It's a very rigorous standard. I'm not going to get into the details of it. Uh, But in 2009, our graduating class had the lowest graduation rate in the state. We had 57% of the students who entered uh, school, our school in the fall of 2005, uh, graduate in spring of 2009. And like I said, that was lowest in the state. It was kind of the other side of the coin is a 10% dropout rate that went along with that. Uh, which was also highest in the state, and uh, you know, I, I can personally say I was I was sick to my stomach most of that school year because mm-hmm. I knew that we had students that we weren't serving, mm-hmm. um, and so. Through a lot of the stuff that we've been doing, uh, we don't have official graduation rates yet for the class of 2011, uh, but we project it to come in somewhere around 77 percent. Uh, the state average is 82, so we've made a lot of gains there, and we're pretty close to the state average. Uh, and something I'm really proud of, we, we had three students who would count as dropouts last year, which is is three too many, but that correlates to a one percent. 0.7% dropout rate, which is actually would put us in the top half of the state. Mm. Uh, so, like I said, our goal would be to get that below one or even to zero, uh, but we've made
1: tremendous progress there. Mm-hmm. And so that the reasons for uh, folks dropping out, the reasons for them not graduating is kind of lack of engagement, it sounds like, with the school situation. Yeah. So you're working on that engagement yep. piece. There, there's engagement and there's traditional
3: school structures, you know, our, our idea of uh, when you fail a class as a freshman, mm-hmm. you know, if you fail it with a 67, you have to take the entire class over again because a 70 is a passing grade. Uh, well, you know, you're, you're missing some specific, it's not like you learn nothing through that entire class, you learn some stuff, so do you need to relearn the stuff you've already learned or can we look at a different way to fill in the gaps of what you haven't learned uh, so that you can can recover that credit, we call it credit recovery, and stay kind of on track Hmm. versus getting buried and starting your junior year feeling like there's no way you'll ever graduate
1: right so right and th- that um so you've you've kind of told the community um that you're gonna report on these things mm-hmm. what's been some of the reactions is that is that a useful set of 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 numbers that people are looking forward I, to I
3: think so um you know they were they were selected um you know we, we didn't do the the sticky dot thing to select them but we certainly <laughs> had feedback in terms of you know when when you come out with the lowest graduation rate in the state it's Pretty clear that this has right. to improve right. um, or when you when you get listed on the low achieving schools list um, and that that is based on a test that tests uh, basic reading and math and writing skills then we know that we need to work on those
1: right uh, you know living in a fishing community um, one of the, the things that you hear and, and i'll just kind of test it out with you is that some students feel like um, school isn't the best way for them to get ahead economically, they can go fishing. Mm-hmm. Is that still the case? And, and how do you counter that?
3: Yeah, I, I think that is the case, that there is a, a perception amongst some students and some uh, families and, and, com- and in the community that that's the case. It certainly isn't universal, right. um, but that is the case for some. And I think that there's a lot of different ways to counter that. I think some of the most Useful ones are like, you know, to point to the, the shrimp industry in the Gulf of Mexico that's been completely decimated by mm. the the oil spill there. Um, and, you know, we often tell students who are talking, oh, I don't need to go to college because I'm going to fish. So, you know, none of those people thought that they were going to wake up one morning and never fish again, mm. but here they are. And, right. and what do they have to fall back on? And so it's talking to students and just saying, you know, the world changes you're 18 years old, you need to be earning a living to support yourself and your family until you're 60, 70, who knows these days, right. um, and you need to be able to do a lot of different
1: things. Right. Sarah, how do you react to that? Um, is, is that your hope in, in, in out of a high school education that you learned a, little, a lot of different things?
4: Yeah, I think right now, you know, like I said, there's no specific subject that I'm really, really interested in. So I'm, like I'm interested in a lot. I'm trying to just keep all my the doors open, and I think the school is very well or is doing a great job of you know having classes for you know no matter what level you're on that prepare you for lots of different things. So you know that you could go into college and you know study a number of different su- majors, you know. Um, so so Todd has important. expressed
1: it from an adult's standpoint. Learning is useful because it's going to serve you the rest of your life. How would you answer one of your friends who said, I think I'm going to drop out. I'm, I'm just bored at school. I don't think it's it's for me. How would you answer them?
4: I think it's really hard because it's true that, like, you know, there are kids who in eighth grade have a boat and can go out and fish and make more money probably than their teachers. Mm. And so it's hard to explain to them. But it is definitely like, you know, the lobster industry isn't as good as it used to be. And I think people are starting to see that and seeing that, you know, the you know resources are being limited and prices are going down. And so there's, you know, just pointing that out to them, reminding them that it isn't a fail-safe way of getting rich. Right, so.
1: right. How about the, the, the notion that um, students might be just bored maybe they're not going to go on to fishing but they're bored how do you how do you kinda say to them um, but let's find something that that
4: you could be interested in right I think that's totally that you have to find you know either sports for our sports teams you know you can't be failing and play on a sports team you get kicked off the team for however long um, and so I think that's a big thing that you know keeps kids in school is saying that you know okay you want to play baseball, you may not like social studies, but you have to at least get an 80 or a mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so there's to a
1: connection. Play
4: betw- baseball. Yep. So that there's a connection between like something they like, so that they see that they're getting something out of it. That you're really, it's not enough to e- just educate kids anymore, you really have to sell it to them. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah, finding something that they really like, whether it's band or chorus or sports or something that they're going to get interested in and just trying everything until you find something that is really interesting to you.
1: Mm. Todd, any any other uh, thoughts about how to keep kids engaged?
3: I I think that's just it. I I think adolescents are different uh, in this generation than they have been in the past. They're very empowered, for better or worse. Mm -hmm. Um, And that concept of choice and connection... Uh, you know, they talk. There's there's the traditional three R's, right? Reading, writing, and arithmetic. And now they talk about the new three R's, which are rigor and relevance and relationships. And that that those are as important as you know the old three R's. And if you're not connecting with students, you're going to have a very difficult time educating them.
1: Mm. So if a, a new teacher um, comes to your school, how do you kind of um, connect them to your um, kind of teaching learning philosophy and kind of set them on the right course. Do you Mm -hmm. have um, that kind of situation?
3: We do. We have several of those situations this year. Um, A lot of it starts with the interview process Uh and really being very thorough um, and making sure that the interview process provides you opportunities to find answers to those questions, you know, not Mm -hmm. just pack questions, but also we've we've done a lot of uh, model teaching uh, where Candidates have to teach lessons to our students. Uh, that's always very telling. Um, and then we, you know, I just spend a lot of time. One of the most important things I do is is sit down with teachers, especially new teachers, and um, just continually have conversations about um, what what works, you know, how is that working in your class, where do you need help, and, and where we want to go.
1: Great. Um, r- let you wrap up and, and give Sarah a chance to, what are your hopes for the future? What, what do you hope for uh, Deer Isle yeah. the High School?
3: Uh, at, at the biggest picture, I hope that all of our students graduate. You know, mm-hmm. we have 25 students coming in this fall. I hope we have 25 students graduating in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that when they do graduate, that the diploma that they've earned really prepares them to do a whole a variety of things after high school and that they'll
1: be successful at it. Great. Sarah, what are your hopes?
4: Um, I hope that students get more engaged, more interested in what they're learning. Um, and I also really hope that the community steps up and really supports us and gets involved in the schools because, you know, they're very involved in the students but not always in an academic way and you know we really celebrate our sports teams and our you know students who go off and do programs like um, we have students who go down and help in Haiti every year or something and so we really support them that way and so supporting them also in an academic way that would be really great
1: great well thanks to both of you we've come to that time when i want to remind listeners that you've been uh, listened to a program produced with support from cooperative extension and the hancock county extension association with offices in each county cooperative extension is the major educational outreach program of the university of maine our radio collaboration with weru began in 1990 and continues with your support Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month Talk of the towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Bound Lane House Highland music recorded. Thanks to our guest this morning, Todd West is principal, Sarah Wilson's a student, and Marion Austin was a is a uh, social studies and English teacher, and Mark Cormier is the school is a school committee member. Amy Vaughn is with uh, Healthy Island Healthy Peninsula Project and the Ready by Twenty-One Project. Thanks to all of you for being with us. Thanks to Underwriters, thanks to Joel Mann for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel. Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.